Welcome to Sound Funding, conversations with Europe's leading investors for impact. In this episode, I spoke with Elodie Donjon, investment manager at the European Investment Fund in Luxembourg. A note from me, your host, we recorded this episode just before the invasion of Ukraine took place, and I've been working full-time on humanitarian relief efforts ever since, which is why it's just making it to air now. Please keep that also in mind as Elodie and I talk about the year ahead, which looked quite different just a couple of months ago. I'm Ryan Grant-Little. Thanks for joining. Elodie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So please tell us, what is the European Investment Fund? What does it do? Who are you? Tell us all about it. Okay, no, sure. With pleasure. So EIF uh, was created back in 94. We are part of the European Investment Bank Group. The EIB is actually our, our majority shareholder uh, alongside the European Commission and alongside a number of financial institutions in Europe, like Vexfonden, National Bank of Greece, or KFW in Germany. Basically, our mission is to provide risk finance to small and medium-sized enterprises across Europe. This is really our DNA. And to do that, we have two main legs, two main activities, one being guarantees and securitizations, working with banks and with financial institutions to provide protection against loan losses. So in a way, incentivizing the banks to lend at better terms to SMEs that they wouldn't do otherwise because too risky. And the other leg is the equity investment, which is the team I'm part of. We are really in equity investing across the investment spectrum, whether it's very early with business angels, for example, or with tech transfer funds, to much more mature companies with private debt fund, lower mid-market, what we call lower mid-market buyout and, and growth type of transactions, so much more mature companies in more, uh, more mature industries. And I was amazed to see that you've been there for 17 years. That's some very uh, good staying power, Sitzfleisch, as you would say in German. I can only imagine the changes that you've seen since, I think, 2004 that you've been there through until now in 2022. What has changed at the EIF in that time? Yeah, no, I mean, the change, I don't even feel like I'm still working in the same company, actually. So just to give you an idea, when I joined, it was in November 2004, we were 70 employees, 7-0. I basically knew everyone. Today, we are close to 650. So the number of people have almost increased 10 times. And to give you an example also in our activity, in 2005, I had a peek into our numbers back then. In 2005, in the whole year, we signed 24 new funds and we invested almost 500 million. Today, so in 2020, for example, we signed 140 new funds across venture capital and lower mean market. And we signed more than 3.5 billion commitments into those new funds. So the expansion and the growth has been huge. What does it mean in terms of companies? If I give you another data points, in 2005, our funds, they had invested a little over 3 billion into 1,000 companies. Today, our portfolio of active companies is 12,000. So again, a growth that has been really huge, reflecting also the European private equity and VC market, which has grown exponentially also in the past 15 years. 
And so your investees are funds. Yes. So European funds that are making equity investments across the board and across the continent. Can you talk a little bit about them? What do you look for? What's an ideal fund as an investee for the EIF? That's a tough question because it's going to have a different answer depending on the strategy, depending on the on the market also. But basically, we really try to be active wherever is possible in Europe. Really, we try to be as active in all of the countries. And we try to provide capital to funds across the board of the investment, again, from the very early stages to the more mature markets. Obviously, you can imagine that some markets are more advanced than others, Western Europe being the largest representative of our investments, basically, uh, France, Germany. The UK used to be also a big one when they were still part of the EU, obviously. But so what do we look for? There's not a hard requirement, but what first and foremost, it's teams. What does the team tell us? What is their story? What is it that they are trying to achieve? What is their strategy? How credible is it? So it's really the first item that is really on our shopping list is what is the team trying to achieve? Then, of course, we will have a peek at the investment strategy, looking at the market, the geography, the type of instruments that they want to deploy, how active the market already is, how difficult is it going to be for that team to implement that strategy in that specific market. So trying to see if we think this is credible. Track record also, obviously, it's important, but we do not shy away from working with first-time teams. And so with first-time teams, you need to make that assessment on a different level because quite often there's not a relevant proper investment track record that you can analyze. So we also work with the complementarity of skill sets. We look at BA investments. We look at yeah, different angles to make sure that we find the investment proposal credible. What are some of the qualities in team members that make for good fund managers? I think uh, the quality is really what I find works most with first-time teams that I've been able to work with is the ability to listen. What I find, and this is especially true in the social impact field, we don't necessarily always speak the same language in the sense that we are a European institution, we are a big machinery, we have needs when it comes to reporting, administration, legal negotiations. And quite often we don't speak the same language because those are younger teams, they don't have the experience of working with institutions. So I find that what is the best quality is really the ability to listen and to get the feedback. We're not saying that we are right and that uh, we have the word of God, if I may say, but we have some experience. In my team, we have 700 funds, more than 700 funds now under management. So we've seen quite a few things. And so our ability to provide feedback is quite useful usually for fund manager. Yeah, as an angel investor, I look very much for coachability in teams, right? And so, um, especially first-time founders, the more that they can recognize that there's a lot to figure out and that there's experience that can be brought to the table from other parties, the more likely they are to to succeed and the more pleasant actually it is for everyone to work together. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, we've seen a few, few things that didn't work well. So if we can also help fund managers not to make the same mistakes or not to fall into the same loophole, we are also happy to share that experience. Yeah, indeed. I mean, basically, you're at 28 years of experience in this space with the EIF, so they would be remiss to not look to you for that kind of advice. You mentioned a little bit about the challenges of, so you're representing all of the EU, 
but obviously very different markets, different levels of sophistication and track record. How do you make these decisions right now? Is it really on a case-by-case basis, or do you have certain years where you're focusing on specific countries or regions? How do you manage the deal throughput from different funds in different regions? It's really case by case, but it's also strategy by strategy. So let me explain the way we are organized in my team, in the venture capital team. We are split into six sub-teams and each of us has a sectoral focus. So we have two tech teams, one for digital economy, one for disruptive tech. We have a life science team. We have an infrastructure team and we have two impact teams, one for environment and climate and one for social You can imagine that we do not approach investments in digital in tech funds the same way that we would approach investments in social impact funds. So for sure, the competition is fiercer in those most established markets and sectors like in tech or even in life science. So we try to be active throughout the different sectors. We try to be active throughout the different geographies. But we also know that in certain fields, in certain countries, if we don't go it's going to be very difficult for fund managers to raise. We are really conscious of the catalytic role that we play. So we try to have a coherent approach throughout the year, but it's also really very much dependent on the deal flow. And after that, once we've been able to push a proposal forward, it's also very dependent on how much the fund manager is is able to raise. So we don't really have targets per year. We have a global amount that we know we will be able to invest but we also are very agile with our deal flow. And I can imagine then because you're active in so many regions that network partnerships, relationships really matter. Do you have local partners in different countries or how do you kind of manage that deal flow coming through? The deal flow, actually, we are in a very lucky position that a lot of things come to us. We are well known. We encourage often managers also to give our contacts to whoever want to talk to us. So We do have a partnership, formal or informal, with most of the national promotion institutions like like BPI in France or like PFR in Poland, with KFW, obviously strong partner of us in Germany. So they know us and they know uh, how to orientate fund managers to us. But most of the time, we also are very lucky that these naturally come to us. And what's the best way for, we have a lot of fund managers listening to this podcast and they're probably wondering what the best way is to get in touch with you to pitch their funds. Yeah, talk to any of us, any people in my team. I mean, you're free to include my contact details on the webpage, but any people of my team will be available to discuss your investment proposal. We encourage all managers to talk to us, even if they think sometimes there's a lot of myth about what we need as EIF, what we will be looking at, whether the fund is too small, whether the geography works, whether certain type of sectors we do invest in or we don't. Honestly, come talk to us. We look at everything. We will give you feedback throughout the process. And if at the very first conversation, we realize that the proposal isn't for us, we will tell you right away. So no one loses time in the process. But really, my advice is come and talk to us. Send us something. Let's have a chat. And then we see if this makes sense for us or not. Okay, fund managers, look in the show notes for Elodie's contact information. So you've had, over the 17 years that you've been at EIF, you've actually seen the development of the impact investing sector really with a front row seat. How has that evolved from an EIF perspective? And and I can imagine that there's 
some kind of tension in the mandate that you have with your major funders because you have sort of the commercial focus on the EIB, but then kind of maybe more the development-oriented focus on the European Commission. How does that tension play out on a day-to-day basis? I wouldn't necessarily call it a tension, but I think as an asset management strategy, we are lucky to be able to do a little bit of everything. So we can do super commercial, very competitive funds investments, but we are also very lucky that the commission trusts us in having a developmental role, which means that we can indeed do investments and take risks that other investors probably wouldn't do or wouldn't take. And so, in a way, this is very complementary and not necessarily cannibalizing each other. So I think overall, it plays out uh, fairly well. And notably for social impacts, I think the Commission has been instrumental and the EIB as well, but the Commission also believed most in the impact space. We started off investing in social impact in 2013 with our own fund of fund called the Social Impact Accelerator, SIA. And this was really a test program, really trying to demonstrate that we could make money, actually make money from investments, while at the same time doing something good for the society, for the environment. And this was really the objective we wanted to demonstrate. Then the commission with the FC program, which is now terminated, also saw that opportunity and gave us additional funding to support social impact, whether it's super hardcore social enterprises, so companies that have their social mission in their statutes, that are using all their profit to achieve the social objective that they have, or whether it's a little bit more commercial impact investing type of of funds. I think fast forward almost 10 years now, we have in our portfolio 34 projects, 29 funds, two co-investment funds, and three outcome contracts. And I think this is going to continue growing over the next few years. Can you talk a little bit about the ticket sizes and some of the details basically for, you know, what does an investment from EIF look like in 2022? Sure, absolutely. In terms of the ticket size, again, this is not an easy question to answer because there's going to be as many answers as there are funds. But I think the rule (laughs) of thumb is that in the most emerging markets, we try to be as catalytic as possible And depending on the strategy and on the fund size, we will try to go up to 50% of total commitments. This is a little bit of a golden rule at EIF is that we try to never exceed 50% of total commitments. Now, this being said, in the space of impact, we know again that if we don't go, most likely other investors will not go. So we are allowed, this is really specific to the commission mandate, we are allowed to exceed the 50% of commitments. So I can give you examples of funds that I've worked with, notably one in Poland that we we closed at the end of last year, where we actually will represent most likely 75% of the total fund size. This is a super strong enabling condition because we know that by providing that amount, other investors will feel maybe a bit more comfortable in joining a project that is very emerging with a young team, very promising, but a young team. And this is a very powerful tool in our view to be able to support the ecosystem. I think another thing that we do a lot in the social impact team, I did a little bit of data crunching, and we really do not shy away from investing in first-time teams. So in our impact portfolio, close to 60% of the fund that we supported were actually managed by first-time team. Just to give you an element of comparison, I compared this with the rest of our VC activity 
first-time team represented just above 30% of the funds that we supported. So we are really taking an extra risk in a way and supporting new teams because without supporting new teams, the ecosystem will unfortunately never pick up. Especially in some of the more developing ecosystems. And so once you've transferred the money, how do you work with these funds? What does the relationship look like? What does measurement and evaluation on the impact side look like? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a little bit à la carte and depending on what the fund managers will want for us. So it's crystal clear that we always sit on the advisory board of the fund. So at least twice per year, there is a formal touch point where we review the portfolio and we discuss basically any issue that the fund manager may have on his plate. We are also a very open and, and proactive investor. We really try to become a trusted partners to our fund managers. And basically, whenever something is happening, we are always available to discuss, whether it's formally or informally, any issue with the team or with the strategy, any questions that they may have, we are always available to discuss. So with some of my fund managers that I follow in my portfolio, I talk to on a monthly basis. Some other is a bit less frequent. So again, really a little bit à la carte. When it comes to the impact measurement, obviously, you can imagine that for us, this is a key point, quite important and actually a non-negotiable point for a social impact activity. We need to see impact measurement and we need to see carry linked to the achievement of this impact. So this is a discussion. It's not a very complicated discussion with the impact fund managers because it's basically their nature and it's core to their DNA, basically to do impact and to actually measure, measure the impact that they will have. What I like uh, nowadays is that this is actually spilling over a little bit in other strategies, whether it's in climate. I'm actually discussing this methodology with one of our life science friends. So quite interesting to see that this is you know, growing a little bit outside of the impact uh, sphere. Speaking of things like climate and life sciences, what are some of the themes that are of interest to you right now going forward? Well, life science has always been a very important part of our investment strategy, and this will continue to grow in the next few years. You can imagine that COVID has, has really shown a light on, on life science innovation over the past couple of years. So we see an increased interest in the sphere. So we'll continue to do a bit of what we've been doing, investing in funds that look at therapeutics, drug discovery, medical devices. Clearly, one field that is emerging and probably the winner of the COVID crisis, if we can say that, is, is really digital health. So we see that the past couple of years have really pushed forward this segment of the life science investments, and we'll be looking to do a bit more on that field. In terms of climate, this is a fairly new field for us. The team has been existing for the past couple of years now. You may have heard that the EIB has become the climate bank of the EU. This cascaded down to us, and now we will be paying a lot more attention to climate investments. This covers a lot of different things from carbon reduction, from agri-tech, food tech. It covers a lot of different things, and we are looking at many different varied type of fund managers. And how about some of the overarching themes that apply to basically all of these sectors? I know that with a lot of funds, they're focusing more and more on gender and diversity and equity and trying to basically bring in some aspects of that and some filters to inform their investments in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. So with the new mandate of the European Commission, we will be asked to pay a little bit attention to gender diversity. 
So definitely fund managers that try to push more diversity already within their own governance, having female management, female partners, promoting more female recruiting, more women is going to be quite important. We'll also look at strategies whereby more gender is pushed at the management team level or at the governing body level. So all of these things are going to be are going to be quite important for us in the next few years with the new programming period of the commission. Do you have any predictions? If you were to take out the crystal ball, do you have any predictions for the year ahead in the impact space in Europe? What we see and what we started to see a little bit over the past couple of years is the emergence of growth impact. So we see more and more fund managers that are targeting growth stage companies and either you know, continuing what has been done by some earlier stage investors or transforming existing business to meet impact goals. So we see a lot of that. We see more and more tech for good. So using technology to solve social issues. This is really an emerging theme for the past couple of years. And I expect this to continue. And I think we, what we see is that social entrepreneurship is clearly no longer only for social impact fund. Impact is really the flavor of the month, the flavor of the year. Everybody in the industry has now taken conscious that it's important to do good and to do better. So we see really the social aspect and the impact aspect of investing growing beyond the impact sphere, which in our view is quite positive because it means also for companies, it's going to be a broader access to finance. Nowadays, the impact sphere in Europe is still quite confidential. There's not a whole lot of funds that are active. So for companies and their access to finance, it's quite important to have a diversity of fund providers. And so are you bullish? Do you see good things happening in the year ahead? Lots of developments across Europe in the impact sector? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, we are really not worried that we're going to be bored this year. We have <laughs> many projects in our pipeline already. I'm working with a French, Franco-German team on a fund that will be focusing on migrant entrepreneurs, also working on a fund that will associate citizens to investing, so quite some nice new topics. We have a lot in the pipeline and we, we really expect that this is going to continue to grow. Amazing. And you're based in Luxembourg, where there's a lot of activity actually in the impact sector. I think of groups like Impact and, of course, lots in terms of EU kind of governmental side. What is your number one tip for someone like me who's never been to Luxembourg before but plans to come soon? What's your favorite tip for something to do in town? For me, the number one place that I love to go to is the Atelier. It's a small concert hall in the, near the train station in the city center. And they have super cool bands that are always coming to play there. So quite a nice, uh, nice area for a drink and meeting a lot of the locals and a lot of different people from across the globe. It's quite a cool place to discover. Amazing. I'm going to go ahead and add that to my want to go Google Maps <laughs> straight away. <laughs> Elodie Donchon, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really interesting. Thanks for having me. You can find out more about EDPA at www.edpa.eu.com, including information on its training academy and how you can become a member. Remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it now to hear more stories like this one. 